Hi, this is Brad Constantine, and this is a podcast recording of the Doctrine and Covenants of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Even though this is not an official recording of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, every effort has been made to be as doctrinally and historically accurate as possible. Every day a new section of the Doctrine and Covenants will be released. I hope that you'll visit this often and be able to share this uh, with your friends. Thank you. Hi, and welcome to the Doctrine and Covenants podcast. This is going to be for section 31. Uh, I'll read the heading first. Revelation given through Joseph Smith the prophet to Thomas B. Marsh, September 1830. The occasion was immediately following a conference of the church. That's uh, section 30, which was the one discussed before. Thomas B. Marsh had been baptized earlier in the month and had been ordained an elder in the church before this revelation was given. This revelation announces how we are as a people uh, to present our message to the world. Though it is a common practice among members of the church to seek common ground with those who profess faith in Christ by an appeal to the Bible, the direction given in this revelation is that we declare the things that have been revealed through the prophet Joseph Smith. The message of the restoration centers on the idea that it is not common ground we seek in sharing the gospel. There is nothing common about our message. The way we answer questions about our faith ought to be by finding the quickest and most direct route to the sacred grove. That is our ground. It is sacred ground. It is where testimonies are born and the greatest truths of heaven are unveiled. We claim no priesthood, keys, power, authority, or doctrines that do not trace themselves directly to heaven. We have not built upon the theological rubble of the past. All that we have, and this includes our faith in the Bible and our understanding of it, has come to us by direct revelation in this dispensation. Doctrines from any other source are without authority among the Latter-day Saints. All doctrine and authority must come through the channels the Lord has ordained for our dispensation, and that channel is the priesthood and keys restored to the prophet Joseph Smith. And that was by uh, Joseph Fielding McConkie. Uh, verse 1. Wait a minute, let me talk about Thomas B. Marsh for just a second. Uh, he would become the first president of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles, and he was excommunicated in 1839. He rejoined the church in 1857 and died in Ogden in 1866. Thomas, my son, blessed are you because of your faith in my work. Behold, you have had many afflictions because of your family, meaning his extended family. Nevertheless, I will bless you and your family, yea, your little ones, and the day cometh that they will believe and know the truth and be one with you in my church. Lift up your heart and rejoice, for the hour of your mission is come, and your tongue shall be loosed, and you shall declare glad tidings of great joy unto this generation. You shall declare the things which have been revealed to my servant Joseph Smith, Jr., as we go forth as missionaries, we have been commanded to teach from the Book of Mormon and the Doctrine and Covenants rather than from that which was revealed to Isaiah, Jeremiah, Peter, or Paul. Continuing verse 4, You shall begin to preach from this time forth, yea, to reap in the field which is white already to be burned. Therefore, thrust in your sickle with all your soul, and your sins are forgiven you, and you shall be laden with sheaves upon your back, for the laborer is worthy of his hire. Wherefore, your family shall live. The power of sealing will bring wayward children back. You do your work to let, and let the Lord do his with your family. Uh, regarding this uh, concept of uh, doing work and then the Lord blessing your family, hope for parents of wayward children. Joseph Smith said, um, the first president of the church said, hope for parents, whoops, the prophet Joseph declared, and he never taught a more comforting doctrine, that the eternal sealings of faithful parents and the divine promises made to them for valiant service in the cause of truth 
would save not only themselves, but likewise their posterity. Though some of the sheep may wander, the eye of the shepherd is upon them, and sooner or later they will feel the tentacles of divine providence reaching out after them and drawing them back to the fold. Either in this life or the life to come, they will return. They will have to pay their debt to justice. They will suffer for their sins and may tread a thorny path, but if it leads them at last like the penitent prodigal to a loving and forgiving father's heart and home, the painful experience will not have been in vain. Pray for your careless and disobedient children. Hold on to them with your faith. Hope on, trust on, till you see the salvation of God. That was by Orson F. Whitney. Brigham Young said, Let the father and mother, who are the members who are members of this church and kingdom, take a righteous course and strive with all their might never to do a wrong, but to do good all their lives. If they have one child or 100 children, if they conduct themselves towards them as they should, binding them to the Lord by their faith and prayers, I care not where those children go. They are bound up to their parents by an everlasting tie, and no power of earth or hell can separate them from their parents in eternity. They will return again to the fountain from whence they sprang. Uh, uh, Lorenzo Snow said, If you succeed in passing through these trials and afflictions and receive a resurrection, you will, by the power of the priesthood, work and labor as the Son of God has until you get all your sons and daughters in the path of exaltation and glory. This is just as sure as that the sun rose this morning over yonder mountains. Therefore, mourn not because all your sons and daughters do not follow in the path that you have marked out to them, or give heed to your counsels, inasmuch as we succeed in securing eternal glory and stand as saviors and as kings and priests to our God, we will save our posterity. Elder Boyd K. Packer said, The measure of our success as parents will not rest solely on how our children turn out. That judgment would be just only if we could raise our families in a perfectly moral environment, and that now is not possible. It is not uncommon for responsible parents to lose one of their children for a time to influences over which they have no control. They agonize over rebellious sons or daughters. They are puzzled over why they are so helpless when they have tried so hard to do what they should. It is my conviction that those wicked influences one day will be overruled. We cannot overemphasize the value of temple marriage, the binding ties of the sealing ordinance, and the standards of worthiness required of them. When parents keep the covenants they have made at the altar of the temple, their children will be forever bound to them. Verse 6, Behold, verily I say unto you, Go from them only for a little time, and declare my word, and I will prepare a place for them. Yea, I will open the hearts of the people, and they will receive you, and I will establish a church by your hand. And you shall strengthen them, and prepare them against the time when they shall be gathered. Be patient in affliction, revile not against those that revile. The First Presidency said, Let no one suppose that Mormonism, so-called, is here to make war upon men or upon creeds, governments and institutions that men revere. It sustains law, order, liberty, and truth the world over. The Latter-day Saints are friends, not enemies to mankind. That we have a message to deliver we know, and God being our helper, we will deliver it. Come life or death, come weal or woe. But we, but we propose doing this in the spirit of peace, in the spirit of patience and brotherly love, forgiving our enemies and returning good for evil, oppressing no man for refusing to listen to our testimony, nor ridiculing what he holds sacred, however false or foolish it may appear to us. 
The liberty of conscience is inviolable, and we stand ready to defend all men in the exercise of this sacred God-given right. We may be abused and slandered for exercising this right ourselves, but heaven forbid that we should ever deny it to others. Despite the human weakness that all men possess, and which prompts them to retaliate when they feel themselves wronged, we will endeavor, with the help of the Lord, to follow his divine injunction. When men revile you, revile not again. Our plain and simple duty is the preaching of the gospel, the gathering of sacred Israel, I mean of scattered Israel, huh, I guess they're sacred too, of scattered Israel, the redemption of Zion, and the salvation of the living and the dead. We have no warfare to wage against our fellow men, no wrongs that we wish to avenge. We leave that to him who has said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. May he be merciful to those who misrepresent and bring trouble upon his people. Continuing the verse, Govern your house in meekness and and be steadfast. This was a warning to Thomas regarding his family. George Albert Smith, or George A. Smith, said, The wife of Thomas B. Marsh, who was then president of the Twelve Apostles, and Sister Harris, concluded they could they would exchange milk in order to make a large a little larger cheese than they otherwise could to be sure to have justice done it was agreed that they should not save the strippings but that the milk and strippings should all go together small matters to talk about here to be sure two women's exchanging milk to make cheese mrs harris it appeared was faithful to the agreement and carried to mrs marsh the milk and strippings but mrs marsh wishing to make some extra good cheese saved a pint of strippings from each cow and sent Mrs. Harris the milk without the strippings. Finally, it leaked out that Mrs. Marsh had saved strippings, and it became a matter to be settled by the teachers. They began to examine the matter, and it was proved that Mrs. Marsh had saved the strippings and consequently had wronged Mrs. Harris out of that amount. An appeal was taken from the teacher to the bishop, and a regular church trial was had. President Marsh did not consider that the bishop had done him and his lady justice, for they decided that the strippings were wrongly, wrongfully saved and that the woman had violated her covenant. Marsh immediately took an appeal to the high council, who investigated the question with much patience, and I assure you they were a grave body. Marsh, being extremely anxious to maintain the character of his wife, as he was the president of the Twelve Apostles and a great man in Israel, made a desperate defense, but the high council finally confirmed the bishop's decision. Marsh, not being satisfied, took an appeal to the first presidency of the church, and Joseph and his counselors had to sit upon the case, and they approved the decision of the high council. This little affair, you will observe, kicked up a considerable breeze, and Thomas B. Marsh then declared that he would sustain the character of his wife, even if he had to go to hell for it. For the then president of the Twelve Apostles, the man who should have been the first to do justice and cause reparation to be made for wrong, committed by any member of his family, took that position, and what next? He went before the magistrate and swore that the Mormons were hostile towards the state of Missouri. The affidavit brought from the government of Missouri an exterminating order which drove some 15,000 saints from their homes and habitations, and some thousands perished through suffering the exposure consequent on this state of affairs. So you can see that Thomas B. Marsh's uh, upset and anger against the prophet here caused uh, the extermination order of the saints, which even resulted in the death of, of several, uh, several people. 
Verse 10, Behold, I say unto you that you shall be a physician unto the church, but not unto the world, for they will not receive you. Thomas dealt with herbal treatments. He became a good mediator in the church. Go your way, whithersoever I will, and and it shall be given you by the Comforter what you shall do and whither you shall go. Pray always, lest you enter into temptation and lose your reward. There was good counsel for Thomas, wasn't it? Heber C. Kimball said, What good do prayers do when your works do not correspond? Men may talk about praying and exhort the people to pray, and if you do not live in a manner to fulfill your prayers, what do they avail you? Faith is dead without works, just as much as as my body is dead without my spirit. When my spirit leaves my body, my body is dead, but put them together and they make a soul, a spirit in a tabernacle. What is the use of our professing to be saints unless we live our religion? By our faithfulness and by our good works, we shall obtain knowledge. About the time he, Thomas B. Marsh, was preparing to leave this church, he received a revelation in the printing office. He retired to himself and prayed and was humble, and God gave him a revelation, and he wrote it. There were from three to five pages of it, and when he came out, he read it to Brother Brigham Young and me. In it, God told him what to do, and that was to sustain Brother Joseph and to believe that what Brother Joseph had said was true. But no, he took a course to sustain his wife and oppose the prophet of God, and she led him away. Thomas B. Marsh was once the president over the Quorum of the Twelve, over Brother Brigham, me, and others. And God saw fit to give him a revelation to forewarn him of the course he would take. And still he took that course. We told him that if he would listen to that revelation he had received, he would be saved. But he listened to his wife, and away he went. His wife is now dead and damned. She led him some eighteen years, and as soon as she died, he came to winter quarters, now Florence, and was written to us, and has written to us, pleading for mercy. We have extended it to him, and he will probably be here this season or the next. Continuing now the end of the section, verse 13, Be faithful unto the end, and lo, I am with you. These words are not of man, nor of men, but of me, even Jesus Christ, your Redeemer, by the will of the Father. Amen. Often it's the case that when we are tempted to go astray, that the Spirit's going to be there to help us to stay on the straight and narrow path and, and convince us to stay and do do well as, as opposed to doing the wrong things. And I bear testimony that uh, the Spirit is always there to strive with us. Uh, as long as we obey and adhere to what the Spirit tells us. I bear that testimony in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. See you next time. Bye.